Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. economic indicators who knows where this is going to end up to understand the economy you have to understand human nature how are you doing there it is the podcast the weekly podcast you know the score we're trying to make economics that little bit more accessible a little bit more comprehensible and hopefully as i say almost every week a little bit more relevant to all of our lives. It is Christmas week. John is in flying form. He's been out <laughs> carousing around the town. How are you, Ed? What's uh, the story? I'm really good. Yeah, because of the birthday as well. Of course. Sorry, I forgot to tell you. Yeah? It was, it's John's birthday today. He is 17 and a half. Uh, mentally. In, mentally. And uh, you're actually in good shape for your birthday. I thought you'd be scootered. Uh, no, I was the other night. We, Sheena brought me out, actually. One of the things she she got me was... Um, An AA membership. <laughs> actually, that would, wouldn't have gone astray. A 12-stage plan of deep moral self-assessment. No, she got me tickets to go and see Bruce Dickinson. Who's he? Bruce Dickinson was the is the lead singer of, of Iron Maiden. And not so in was, a million years, man. No, no, I, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of Iron Maiden, but it was Bruce Dickinson in conversation in the National Theatre or National Stadium of all places. But he was great. What really struck me about it, which I really liked, was the fact that, you know, it was maybe a thousand people there or something like that, but they were all aging rockers. The metaler. The metaler. It struck me that metalers. And like we all go through our phases, whether it's we're mods or, or punks or punks, ska. Yeah. Well, that's our generation. Yeah, yeah, nutty boys. <laughs> I remember nutty. the nutty boys. The noggin was full of nutty boys. The noggin was a a hotbed of nutty yeah, boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Tokyo, the Doki punks. But that's when Doki was quite rough. Yeah, yeah. Well, of... that's true. That's true. But go on about the metalers. But you know, we all choose when we're growing up in our teens. We all choose our our little niche, and they're fads. But for metalers. It's not a fad. It's a lifestyle. And mods are the same. So it's mods and metalers. They choose a lifestyle at, I don't know, 14, 13, 14, and they stick with it. We were, would have been considered mods. Yeah, but we were very Mickey Mouse mods, in fairness. Yeah. We weren't. But it's at funny the time you say we about the mods. I saw something about the Blades, right? Oh, yeah. Who used to play in the Magnet in Ring's End. And yeah. they were the only Dublin mod band and recently I saw the Blades reformed a week ago. It was a photo in the paper. Oh, really? And Not reformed. They were doing a gig. I think they do yeah. a Christmas gig every year. But what it was was aging lads 
Yeah. In parkas, in lambrettas, on the lambrettas yeah. with the mutton chop sideburns. Old mods. Yeah, Do old think- mods. There was a brilliant doco that I saw a few weeks ago about the making of Quadrophenia. And it was one of the great movies. It was a brilliant movie, but they were talking about But one of the most overrated bands, the Who. Uh, I no. used to hate that. You used to give me Who albums. Remember when we decided to become mods and you said, okay, Macker, now you can listen to the jam. I said, the jams, that's grand. I can do the Paul Wellers thing. Then you give me the Who and I was like, man. Because no, no, it was no, no. so like metal. It was like heavy metal no. and I was not into it. it no, was- the later Who were, was going along those lines and some of the operatic stuff was a bit, mm, yeah, but the real, the core of the Who was brilliant. It was brilliant. But I just thought it was interesting that that all those guys, you know, they're all in their 50s now like us and they're still going around with their, you know, their Iron Maiden t-shirts and all that. the Ned hanging out. The (laughs) The Iron Maiden. Exactly. Brilliant. And the cut-off denim jacket and the whole (laughs) thing. Well, it's funny you say about metlers. There is a great walk that I would love to do. Oh, yeah. You know the way you say James Joyce's Dublin, right? Or the Beatles' Liverpool, right? There's a great walk which is Led Zeppelin's Walsall. Oh, Walsall. Walsall is in the middle of England, right? Yeah. And what you notice is that really good metal bands all come from the West Midlands in England, and they're all the sons of car mechanics. Right. This is an interesting thing. Yeah. This is the stuff, right? So Led Zeppelin are from Walsall. So too are Black Sabbath. They're all from the West Midlands, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's Sabbath. something about the Midlands. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's a heavy metal area, yeah. right? And I just thought it would be a really funny thing. The two of us should do it, actually. We should do the heavy metal tour yeah. of Walsall, even though I don't like metal. <laughs> but just that idea that metal was really white. Yeah. It was working class, but it was industrial working class. There was like the sound of engines and guitars yeah. and the whole thing. And we should do it. And it's 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 a kind of a tribute to Jimmy Page and a tribute to yeah. you know, Robert Plant. You know, I met Jimmy Page once. Does he remember it? No. <laughs> because actually, I kind of, I was so tired. We were driving back from Dublin to London and we stopped off at one of those service stations. Oh, I know. The really miserable yeah, ones really, in the Midlands. Yeah, in the Midlands. In the Midlands. And we were, you know, having a bacon and chips or something like that just to... And in walks Jimmy Page. That's quite cool. And I kind of went, is that Jimmy Page? Ah, fuck it. (laughs) Fuck, I couldn't be arsed talking to him. (laughs) The greatest (laughs) axe man that ever lived. Absolutely. And if I had a phone like now, I would have gone up and done a selfie and that'd be it. But, you know, it was just one of those passing moments. That's that's a good moment. In actual fact, we could talk about Christmas week and those motorway stops in England. I remember going to London on Stevens' day many, many years ago with mm. Dubbo Dargan, an old friend of ours. Jeez. And we ended up in one of those motorway stops. Different story. We shouldn't talk about that. Yeah. We might tease that and talk about it later on, on our Sweeney Todd's. But anyway, I'm back from Argentina. The crack was brilliant down there. You yeah. absolutely love it. You should go down. It's an amazing How's the tango place. going now? The tango. Oh, I'm a great lead. <laughs> I'm a great lead. No, I didn't go to tango at all. I was, uh, you know, my weakness is going to uh, watch Drinking. soccer. Drinking and going to watch soccer. And of course, the two great Buenos Aires teams, River Plate and Boca Juniors, lost on the same day last Saturday. So the city was in mourning. But it's a great place. What, what game did you go to? I didn't go, I was just watching the telly. Oh, right, right. But right. It's, 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 a, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful country that messes up the economy to such a crazy extent that if you're Argentinian, it must be so frustrating because they have everything there. Yeah but they are so corrupted by their politics that every five or six years at this stage now, 
They have yeah. an economic crisis. It seems to be going on for ages. But it's it's a wonderful, wonderful. Did you meet your 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 mate Martin? Yeah, no, I stayed. I stayed with Martin for a while. He's become a senator now. Yeah, so no, he, I was going to yeah. say. So what's his take on so it? So his take, like he was the youngest ever economics minister of Argentina, which I'm always laughing at. Him, so is that an accolade or not? You know, <laughs> and uh, his take is that it will take them twenty years of good economic decision making, which is what we're going to talk about today in the podcast to rebuild the trust, to rebuild the notion of a collective Argentinian experience, which you need to push the economy forward. Because what you find amazing in Argentina is the people are incredibly well-educated, well-traveled, they know what's going on in the world, they're, they're clever, they're ambitious, they're usually all the sons and daughters or grandsons and daughters of immigrants, so mm. they have an immigrant thing going on. But as a friend of mine said, and she's Irish-Argentinian, she said, you know, the Italians, they brought their food. They bought their clothes. They brought their football. They brought their good-looking things. They brought their fashion. They brought everything. Mm. And they brought their corruption. Right. And she says it's an Italian thing, a Southern Italian thing. So That brought their corruption because Argentina's biggest ethnic minority are Italians. Right. And that's what she says. She runs a business down there. She said it's just the Italian way. And what's the population of the, because you were saying before, we were talking about before, the, about the Irish immigrants there. The Irish immigrants are now four or five percent of Argentinians are self-proclaimed Irish Argentinians, which is a huge, big, I mean, the population is 47 million, so it's big. Yeah. But very, very few of them have any real connection with Ireland. Although I've met a few of them, it's, it's a long time ago. Yeah. The Italians came after the First World War and still after the Second World War. The Irish haven't moved to Argentina in big numbers since the 1890s, 1900s. Right. So it's a long, long time ago. Uh, what's Martin's second name? Lusto. Lusto. If Martin Lusto is saying that's going to take him 20 years, it's also 20 years within a global economy that's in serious flux. Serious flux, serious challenging. And I think what's really interesting is to look at what happened in the UK in the last 10 days, 14 days, and put it into some sort of context. Because it seems to me that this type of politics is the politics of the future, or let's say the next decade. Yeah. And it's based on an economic inequality, actually, and a a cleavage in the system. About 10 years ago, John, I did a one-man show in the Abbey, right? The Outsiders, I remember. Yeah, and I called it the Outsiders for a reason. The reason was I thought that politics at the time was going to divide not left and right in the old-fashioned way, not urban and rural, not young and old, not conservative and liberal, but actually between insiders and outsiders. This was after the financial crisis. And that the insiders were people, both on the left and the right, who had a stake in society, who had some sort of access to power, felt that they were being spoken to or looked after by politicians, and that increasingly the outsiders, which is why I titled it The Outsiders, would actually become the significant political phenomenon of the decade, which was people who feel outside, that nobody represents us, that we don't have a stake. The angry. The angry, but what we don't have, we don't have a stake, but we have a vote. And exactly at the ballot box, we will vote in anger because we feel excluded. And do you think that's what happened in the general election? I do in the UK. And I I think we should be worried about it here and all over the world. And I think the thing about anger, if you think about the reason, like, for example, I look at 
my kids when they were early teenagers and they'd fly off the handle. They'd get angry. And anger is a frustration. And anger is the emotion of the impotent, of people without power. As young teenagers, don't they, they kind of come to terms with their own world and they get angry because yeah. they... So anger and rage, although Johnny Rotten said anger is an energy, public yeah. image limited. That's right, You yeah. may well have liked... Yeah. Right? Yeah. Anger is also the energy of the weak, not of the strong. And what I see in the UK is this anger both on the left and on the right. And what it seems to me to try and make sense of what's happened across the water and all around Europe and all and in America is that what I see is a fundamental misunderstanding of human nature. So if you think the left wing has always taken the view that humans are altruistic, that we are caring, sharing people, trapped in a bad political design. And if we can change the political design and change the political system, yeah. we will be liberated to be that caring, sharing human that we are. And this is the this is the philosophy of, you know, Jesus Christ, Lenin, Rousseau, all yeah. these great yeah, yeah. left-wing thinkers, right? So they believe that we're altruistic in nature. And the right wing, taken from Adam Smith, believes that we are all self-interested. And if you allow the self-interested man to pursue his or her big ideas, that the market, the invisible hand, as Adam Smith spoke about, will actually fix everything and will create a better social outcome. And I've always thought when we look at those two ideas that neither of them really captures humans, that we're neither saintly, altruistic people, nor are we selfish, greedy self-interested people, that if you look at what actually drives humanity, and the reason you know, John, I'm always interested in humanity from the economic perspective is that economics is the science of us, right? It's the understanding of what makes people work. And people are social animals. And as social animals, therefore, you've got to understand, are we saintly creatures or are we self-interested creatures? And what strikes me is we're neither. We're actually incredibly cooperative creatures. So the other way people say, oh yeah, well, self-interest, you know, that's just human nature. No, it's bullshit. Humans yeah. actually do lots. Think about your life. Yeah. Think about everyone's life. We do lots of things that are actually not in our interest. And we do lots of things that are not actually driven just to be nice to others. But we do things through cooperation. That if you look at human anthropology and economics is only an end point of some anthropology, I believe. Yeah. Humans are deeply, deeply cooperative. So if your two ideologies don't understand that, you end up in a very, very strange place politically. So, we, so, so, so where do these ideologies come from? Like, why would you come up with an idea? For instance, I'm going to be totally right wing or totally left wing. If the, the, the core of the human is saying that I need to cooperate more. Well, I think it's because the the Hindus have a great expression, which Mm -hmm. is, in the dark, all cats are grey. And what they mean by that Mm, is that cats are neither black nor white. We're all in the grey. And we all live in the dark because we can't predict the future. right? So we're always, there's always an element of, I don't know what's going to happen. But what the expression is all about is that we are a melange of things. right? We're, We're kind of in the middle. But politically, 
it's very hard to sell. Oh, I'm from in the middle melange people, right? It's <laughs> yeah. much better to sell. I'm left wing or I'm right wing. But what you see in society and the economy being part of society is that humans are cooperative and we co- cooperate all the time, but we believe in being reciprocal. So I think the best way to understand the economy and the way humans figure out the economy is the old expression, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. Yeah. So that's what I've always thought is much more interesting than all highfalutin economic theories. We like to reciprocate. So consequently, if there's, for example, a tax system, we pay tax because we believe we're going to get public infrastructure back. We pay tax because we believe our kids are going to go to public schools or when we get older, we're going to get a pension. So there's a reciprocal nature. I'll pay tax now. I'll scratch your back now, but you'll give me a pension when I get older. And that is the essence of how humans cooperate with each other. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course, and I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco, or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. So why are we failing then in, in that sense? Well, again, I'm going to look at the UK through this, this idea that reciprocal economics, that idea, you scratch mine, I'll scratch yours, is based on, I, I trust you. Yeah. Right? So what we rarely see in economics is discussions about love, about trust, about cooperation, about doing things for others because we know that they'll do unto us. What annoys me, and of course it's our, it's our Christmas Day podcast, so we're talking about big ideas yeah. here, is that economics has robbed us of those soft discussions and the soft discussions are where all of us actually live yeah that we do cooperate and at the core of that john is trust right and if you look statistically at societies where they have high levels of trust and this we can do by survey data we've done over over the years yeah is that societies with high levels of trust 
have also high levels of cooperation. And high levels of cooperation are societies where the economy expands very rapidly because human genius is all about cooperation. That's how we live and we learn. So, so, so what's an example of, of where this works, well, this trust? A really good example is JM's home country, Canada. Canada is a society... That's why JM's such a nice guy. He's such a nice guy. He trusts us and the fucking Egypt just never trust the paddy. <laughs> no, right. Canada's a very good example. Very high levels of trust and very high levels of income. So it comes from institutional fairness. If you believe the society is fair and that the big man on the top is rooting for you mm. and the central bank is fair and the Department of Education is fair and the cops are fair, what you find is that this builds up this notion of trust. In Canada over the last 100 years, there has been a sense of fairness that has driven the Canadians, which has given them high levels. I'll give you an example. When I do gigs, right? Yeah. Speaking gigs, and I do them all yeah. over the world, right? Yeah. The only place, and it's really a bit of a, for us it's bizarre, the only place that pays you in advance before you turn up is the Canadians. <laughs> you get a check before you even... Give wow. you speak. Fucking Paddy wouldn't do that. Not at all. You'd be weeks looking for a gig off Paddy. And looking, oh, sorry, sorry, I didn't get to you. Oh, no, yeah. the invoice, it's on its way. Yada, 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 right? So the Canadians operate with trust. And obviously, once you have trust, it breaks down the actual financial cost of transactions. You reduce insurance payments. Think about all these things, right? Yeah. You reduce the time element in being paid. Yeah. But I'll tell you a very interesting thing is one of the greatest places for financial scams in the world is Canada. How do you mean? Because they trust each other. <laughs> so if you're a corrupt person in a really trusting society, it's a fucking field day, right? <laughs> and I've been studying this now over the last while. JM the, is nodding, the by the history way. <laughs> of financial scams, there's many more incidents of financial one-off scams in Canada than almost anywhere else in the world. Really? And the reason is 99.999% of the people trust each other. So what, what's a very interesting thing is that Canada is, on the one hand, very trusting, and that works incredibly well. But on the other hand, because it's very trusting, the odd bad egg does well Yeah, of course. In There's Canada. bad eggs everywhere. So Good that's the thing. But again, what I want to come back to is when you break down trust, you break down society and social capital, and it leaves you open to shysters who suggest, like Trump and Johnson, that a slogan will deliver prosperity. And that's never happened before. Yeah. Think about in school. You remember in school when we were kids, right? Mm. And uh, the teacher would say, John Davis, now, you remember the kids would be doing their record, doing their thing, and their hand would be over their work. You remember yeah. the hand over, don't you look at me, don't you look at me. And the teacher would say, John Davis, you're copying. Yeah, and you're copying, a cogger. You're, you're a, a cogger. cogger. And do you remember copying was the worst thing you could be yeah. in school? Yeah, but that's actually, the ultimate teacher. But in real life, we call that collaboration. Right. If yeah. you think about yeah. it, right? Building on the shoulders of giants. And all that sort of stuff. So we cooperate with each other. That's what brings you. So humans, the whole economy, I've always thought is more about evolution than hard science. You know, they say economics is a science. I don't believe that at all. Yeah. I mean, it looks more like evolution. And evolution is all about trial and error. You see that? You know, like, you know, it's not the f survival of the fittest. Darwin was wrong. It's survival of the most adaptable. Well, hang on. Just on that then, what about Richard Dawkins talking about the selfish gene? His basic point was that genes don't have a personality. Genes are genes. 
and yeah. they're all about survival. And and it was one of the great, shine one of the great, anything one of the great books. Yeah, it's a and great he's book. one of the great thinkers. Yeah. But my sense is that it's not the selfish gene that survives; it's the adaptable gene. So look at look at evolution, right? It's not the self-interested animal that has survived. It's the one that figures out the ecology around it and changes a wee bit. And that change might be you take one step backwards to take two steps forwards in the future. So in an economic sense, what you're saying is that the one who spots an opportunity. The one who spots an opportunity, but also understands that the opportunity is only there because other people also recognise it. Right. So think about this in the political sense in the course of our discussion of the UK. For example, the reason the UK is important to us is it's right beside us and it's also, it's a warning for us, right? If trust is essential for economics, and it is, and we know that statistically the correlation between high levels of trust and high level of income is very, very close, right? Then if you break trust, if you explicitly allow policies that reduce trust, cooperation, and I use the word love and affection, these sort of words, you will end up in a society that actually loses what the Americans call social capital, right? And this is a really important thing. We have what we call technological capital, right? Mm. Which is yeah. invention, right? We have human capital, which is our own ability to actually work work, and to adjust, whatever. And then you have this incredible thing called social capital, which is where, how societies gel together, how the networks work. And social capital is a great book by a, a guy called Putnam, okay? It's called Bowling Alone, which is about the decline of social capital in the United States. And what he talks about is that one of the things that gels society together is trust. And one of the things that you can see in societies that work is high levels of volunteerism, mm. high levels of, or, of social organization. Right. So take an Ireland, like, it's not my bag, but the GAA is a very good example of a social capital infrastructure. Yeah. People come together, they volunteer together, they give their time yeah, together. It's a fantastic organization. It yeah. is, right? Yeah. But also so too are environmental organizations, residence committees, anything that people come together in a group to reinforce the purpose, the singular purpose of the group. Now, social capital is something that it's very hard to gauge until you lose it. And when you lose it, you know all about it. Yeah. And yeah. I think in Ireland, we're lucky we have quite, quite decent social capital. The idea then is, how do you explain what has happened in England through the prism of this social capital and trust? And when I look at Brexit, I look at what's happened in the last 10 days, I try to see it in the context of the last 30 years. The last 30 years in Britain, you've had almost like, an it's almost been the declared... Under Thatcher, they declared mm. civil war on each other, right? The left against the right, the north There's against no the south. No such thing as society. All that, you remember that? All that, the no such thing as society, which is total bullshit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not only is there such thing as society, society is what holds us all together. The fact that I'll do something for you, you'll do something for me, I trust you, you trust me. And in England, if you look at the areas of the north of England and the Midlands, now we were talking about heavy metal, coming back to it, that actually voted Tory. What was the defining characteristics of these constituencies? It was that in the early 1980s, Mrs. Thatcher declared war against these populations during the miners' strike. Yeah. Also pursuing the loads of money culture of the 1980s, 
elevated London over the north. Yeah. So the north begins to feel isolated. Then the people begin to feel atomized. Then the people begin to feel totally on their own. Then what you also see is a fall in volunteering in the north of England, okay? Poorer parts of England, you see a dramatic fall off in volunteering because people actually go into their own shell. And then you have this us and well, them. they kind of forced to look after number one. Precisely. Mm. So what you find over at least two or three decades is the social capital, the bonds that, you know. So when I was young, I always thought the north of England was a place people watched football, men worked, women were at home. There was even things like the Salvation Army, all these things that were big in their society. Yeah. These things are all gone now. And therefore, once you take a social capital, you take out trust, you take out cooperation, and what you're left is with anger. And anger is what has defined this last 14 days in the UK. Yeah. And it and actually took everybody by surprise. What was it, the worst election for Labour since 1935? Yes. So but, all those workmen's clubs, which was the Labour kind of... It was the Labour thing, you know, it was, the, the, it was their baseline. Yeah, know, the it was, yeah, it was the Labour kind of core, yeah. So if you look at it, John, now, right, you see, what has happened there? Johnson is the consequence of 30 years of a class war in England, which pits people against each other, both regionally, both by terms of accent, all these small little things, right? Mm. And eventually, some guy comes along, like Trump in America, same process, and says, don't worry, I'll fix it all by identifying a new enemy called the foreigner or the European or whatever you the elite, okay? Yeah. And we'll all galvanize together and we'll, it, the flag will be our thing. But what will drive us forward is anger. Yeah. And anger is an anathema to a modern economy because a modern economy needs to be at peace with itself to work. Okay, and I totally get that. So that anger really bubbled up in 2008 when the, the, the financial collapse. Yeah, yeah, of the world. yeah, yeah. And when you're talking about trust, we had this absolute trust in our banks because that's where our money was. We stuck our money into the banks. I didn't. <laughs> or, okay. <laughs> no, but, I, no, but I, I hear you. I hear you. So was that where, like, we lost trust in our banks, in our institutions, and that anger bubbled up there. So then it was a case of the likes of Trump, who corralled that anger well, and focused it? I focused on, it, and I mean on foreigners or whatever he focused it on. Yeah, well, like, like what fascinates me is the role of these soft ideas in economics. You know, trust, decency, cooperative behavior, collaboration, and, and I come back to this, this idea of love, right? The economics of love. Yeah, but that's what it's all about. Yeah. Is that actual fact? If people are close to each other and they care about each other, they cooperate. And that's what makes the human genius, is cooperation. Which is when people are isolated, that's when people underperform completely. So you go back to your question about 2008. 2008 was an institutional betrayal, right? That the average guy in this country, in the United States, all over, trusted the institutions to do the right thing. And then once you get a massive crash and all the institutions, the economists, and you get the the banks and the governments coming, oh, we didn't see it coming. Then the average dude is like, well, fuck you. I pay you to see it coming. Yeah. You know, that's my gig. 
back to reciprocity. I pay you tax because I think you know what you're talking about. Yeah, and and yeah. fuck it, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. So it takes a long time to rebuild that trust. And I think that what we're seeing now in politics is the politics of betrayal. And both Trump and Johnson are two hucksters who understand human emotions and rawness and anger better than most. And both of them, particularly Trump, understands rejection. So Trump has been rejected by American establishment for mm. years. He understands the hurt of rejection. Therefore, he understands the hurt of people who are rejected. Yeah. And that is the people that Hillary Clinton called the deplorables. Yeah. Johnson, on the other hand, is an incredibly clever operator, much cleverer than people think. And he tapped into the anger and hurt of the north of England. Yeah. Now, I believe for us in Ireland, the lesson is that if you unravel the bonds that keep society together, if you allow certain areas of the country to feel left behind, then what you do is you facilitate populism and the growth of anger and the growth of politics, which is us and them. Mm. So the lesson for Ireland and for the rest of Europe from Trump and Johnson is that at your peril, you undermine trust and social capital in society because what drives the economy forward is individual humans with dignity in their work and in their family life and their home life acting together to make the place better not just for them, but for the rest of us. And once we lose sight of that, and that's the economics of love, yeah. we lose sight of what actually makes the entire economy tick. Before you go, I am really delighted that the audio book of Renaissance Nation, updated for Brexit and what it's going to mean for us, is out on Audible this week. This is the first time I've ever done it, and it actually comes from a suggestion from you, the listeners, who said, look, we love the podcast. We don't have a huge amount of time on our hands every week to sit down and read a full book, but we'd love to hear an audiobook. So that's it, Renaissance Nation, the audiobook, out on Audible. Have a gander, would make a really good Christmas present, and I hope you like it. Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food, and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free 
or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.